0: Solzhenitsyn is like, I don't, I don't know what to, I feel like he's like a little bit of like a Soviet evil whore. Does that make sense?
1: <laughs> like the Soviet Union is evil and he really whores that out.
0: Yeah. And like yeah. works on it really well. Like that built his career on it. Yeah. yeah. Especially the gulags, obviously. Yeah. Archipelago. This
1: shit feels like I won't ever make it more.
0: Okay, so from Saint Petersburg. Okay, in Brooklyn. All right, there it is. This is the podcast. She's in Russia. Uh, I'm Lily.
1: Yay! I'm <laughs> and Smith sweet. doesn't
0: count. Go away now. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah,
1: I'm not. I'm not going to be contributing anything to this one.
0: That doesn't matter. But laugh. No, I think you'll have to contribute some. What's opinions? W- what's
1: what's the situation on this episode?
0: <laughs> what have we decided to do for Ladies Month? Oh God, okay, it's not Ladies Month, is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it March sure is, is like Women's Month. Uh huh. Oh, I I only know about March eighth. So.
1: Well, that's the like women's pinnacle day. of the month. Okay, women's okay. Day. If you don't want to celebrate the whole month, you know.
0: Yeah, that would be a a lot of flowers, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so it's not in honor of Women's Month, but you can pretend, because on the surface level, it seems to be picked especially for that, because we're actually going to talk about a certain member of the Leningrad Feminist Dissident Movement, as it's known as now, but like, or the dissident movement and then the sort of women's movement within it. Okay. So that actually is really on point because sometimes we actually most times that we make decisions, they randomly align with um, I know. like it's historical really, things and timely bizarre. Yeah, our shit is really timely a lot of the time, but it's like almost always accidental. I mean the the main the most intense one is the fucked up one, which we're
1: not gonna include on this episode. The troll? No. Um,
0: that was also good though. What? What's the fucked up one? What? Laura. Oh god. my god. <laughs> Literally the day we're recording. Dead. Oh my god. <laughs> so fucked up. This is the part I'm I'm laughing out of like horror. It's just <laughs> so fucked up. It's really fucked up, yeah. So There's nothing. That your emotions can do, but laugh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's why we're laughing. <laughs> it's so far actually sad. Smith, are you not sad? Yeah, no, I am.
1: I think about that
0: fairly regularly. Me too. I'm like, wow, that is fucked I up. I mean, I think about like not our timing, just that she's dead. I know. I think about it like a lot. Really. I mean, it's it's really messed up. It's insane. I know. I can like. It I also. Sense. It's like that kind of thing where. Partly it was just sort of the, I don't know, the like particularity of that experience where we, where we sort of cut off from society and everything. But I feel like my memories yeah. from that are like really vivid. And I like yeah. remember her face and her hands like really vividly, you know?
1: Yeah. It's like... Uh, well, we spent so much time with her too. It was like just the three of us. Yeah,
0: but like not actually though, if you look at how much time we spend with people in our lives, we spent like, you know, a collective, what, like five hours with her? Maybe no, ten more than ten that. hours, more than that, because we ate every meal with her. That was like what two hours? Okay, so fine, ten hours maybe with like the horse training. But like really, wasn't that we were there for like two nights?
1: Yeah, it it's I just know. so crazy because you, like, you're right about like the isolation thing and the specificity of the experience makes it like really stick in your brain
0: and like not having internet, we were just like interacting and like yeah, it was really yeah just your memory works differently, I think, because of that. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know. I mean anyway. <sighs> Shall we move on? Okay. Okay. So the person I'm I'm bantering bantering on about, her name is Yulia Vosnesenska. And Julia. <laughs> what what? <laughs>
1: what's with they call her they call her julia you know on the on the
0: english version that's okay and i mean that i mean uh, whatever I that, that, me, that's fine that's like when people call themselves like michael it's like that's not your real name but okay but it's just like why you have a really intense like russian last name like why why julia's a better name look i can't explain it to you but like i think mikhail okay. is also better than Michael. Yeah. sorry <laughs> Um, so Woznasenskaya is what, Smith? A woman. And? An author. Dead. <laughs>
1: She's also dead. Oh, dead. dead. <laughs> right. Excuse me. Prompt me again. Okay.
0: Uh, now, Woznasenskaya is what, Smith? Dead. <laughs> right on. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Right on. Right on. <laughs> um, Old chap? Yeah, unfortunately. She passed away in 2015 but okay so she managed to republish this text in Russian just before that but Voznesenskaya is yeah she's considered like a member of the Leningrad dissident movement which includes like a woman's movement or a feminist movement the naming kind of does make a difference um, within it and that sort of starts around the late 70s, mid to late 70s. Or it's happening okay, wait, before that, but her participation is in the late 70s. Go ahead. But. Okay, because we're
1: going to talk a little bit about this book. Yeah. I read a little bit of it. I have a bit of a like, slanted view of this person. Was the scene itself legit as far as you can tell?
0: Yeah, I think it it existed. I mean, we're talking about like, a small group of women. This movement that I read about was based in Leningrad. And yeah, I think like it existed it existed around a couple of journals that were published in like a club and was it legitimate i think it was really focused on saying like there are a lot of misconceptions about like the position of women in society in the soviet union and we're going to address that because like just being dissident isn't enough basically just being anti-Soviet, for example, isn't enough and doesn't take into account the particularities of the of woman's position of the female experience right and so that's within Russia there's there's misconceptions like within within the Soviet Union, sorry and then that also sort of like translates to what Woznesenska then confronted when she left the Soviet Union, which was that she found what we already know, uh, that many, many people in the West had misperceptions about feminism and about, like, women's position and role in society uh, in the Soviet Union. A lot, Most people are, like you know, overall, or, like, women had it good in the Soviet Union, you know, like, Mm. everything was solved. The, like, woman question was solved by Lenin, and nothing changed. (laughs) They (laughs) Um, got their abortions,
1: and then everything was great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, which is, like, basically what happens to a lot of Soviet history, which is Soviet history before, like, the 1930s. So, like, the first 10 years of Soviet history, like, is what most people think of all of Soviet history. Yeah. Yeah. When, you know, divorce laws were, like, made really meaning you could easily get divorced, Uh, abortion was made legal, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Women were like, you know, all that propaganda you've talked about, uh, like getting women out of the kitchen, Mm. into the factory. (laughs) Into, yeah. Um, The sort of like- And then back back into the kitchen. Taking the responsibility of family life off of women. Um, That all ends up being reversed in various ways.
1: A bunch of hokum.
0: Well, I think, you know, it's like it existed for a small period of time. And then some things were reversed and some things weren't. I just, like, it definitely didn't stay, like, all hunky-dory from the 20s on. So to answer your question, like, yeah, I think so. But there are a lot of sort of, like, eyebrow-raising things, which is why we're talking about this person anyway. Um, And we didn't just... We started reading this book of hers that... um, She's written a few books, but this was her first novel. And she's also known as a poet, by the way. And we started... Both of us started reading it, and we were, like... We shouldn't do this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this book is not good. But how you say not? How you good say not good should be burned. <laughs> Burn it! <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, it's just the pointing out the sort of like particularities of Yulia's uh, experience and what she did in this society. And just like what it actually was is interesting on its own. So, and and the book is let's just say what the book is called. So we st- stop taunting. Well, okay, the but we will talk a little bit about it later, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, what's the book called, Smithy? The Woman's Decameron. Yeah. Women's. D- if that's how it's pronounced. Women's Decameron. Decameron. Yeah. Decameron. <laughs> Which like
1: I didn't even know what that was. So you're gonna have to enlighten me there, also. <laughs>
0: But we, we can talk about whatever. Wait, you, you didn't know us. what a Decameron is? No. Oh, wait, I didn't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> that's in my list, but I didn't really get to it. But I did read yeah. the Wikipedia page. So. Okay, that's good. So you know something? I'm just going to read from it. So okay. <laughs> when we go. But we'll, we'll come back to that book. I don't know if she considers it like her best work or something or if it's like herm- it's probably one of the more well-known ones in um outside of russia, russia i guess arguably though it doesn't appear to be that well-known anywhere. anyway um yeah and i mean not so. since it was like
1: published people seem to not care about it but the brooklyn library did have it but it was in storage what does that mean they like it wasn't out on the shelf like i had to look it up online and then i came and they had to go down and get it from for me from storage and bring it up dusty Yeah. I love the library. Oh, PSA. If you have a library card, you can use this streaming service called Canopy that has a lot of good movies on it. So you should get a library card. Uh, Any library card? (laughs) K-A-N-O-P-Y. What? Any library card? I would assume most libraries have a subscription with them. I mean, it works for the Brooklyn Library. I'm not going to be like anywhere in America you can use it, but. That's that's their model, is it's, like,
0: meant to be for libraries, I think. I really need to get a library card. I need to, like, fake some utilities or something. So that you have residency? If it's not just New York City that has all these perks, then I could get a Westchester library card.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. um, That's true. I would let you use mine, but that is
0: li- the credits are limited, so. Yeah, okay. Let's not get into this. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we hinted at this book. We said the name of the book, but um, let's go back to Yule. Yule Chick. Vesnusinska is involved with various kind of like dissident movement things and nonconformist artists, protests, like strikes, that kind of hunger strikes, that kind of thing, in the early to mid 70s, it seems like she's not at that time though she's not like focused on women's issues in particular she's baptized in 1973 she's, oh, whoa. she's like a born again yeah well baptized no i mean she's what do you mean i mean isn't she like an adult when she gets baptized yeah her parents are atheists until they're very old age then they end up unfortunately <laughs> pretty not unfortunately but it's just kind of funny um that's weird
1: yeah I guess that no that actually makes sense a lot of times people who are like I don't believe in God they're like I'm gonna
0: die I believe in God. yeah that makes sense but her parents but her parents were like Soviet atheists like that kind of thing so it's Mm unclear what made her become orthodox Christian like Russian orthodox but that is an important fact and here it is comes out she like enters the church whatever was baptized in 73 and she's born in 1940 so that makes her Smith 33 good job so <laughs> yeah, shake you. <laughs> I can do basic maths. Yeah, that'll that'll come back. But anyway, she's like participating in various like protests and hunger strikes and spending time with non-conformist artists. She went to like um, the Institute of Theater, Music, and Cinema in Leningrad, so she's around all the artsy types. Okay. And she. You know, through her 20s and then I guess in her early 30s. And then she ends up getting arrested in 1976. So she's arrested for anti Soviet propaganda and activities. Okay. And since. <coughs> what was she doing? Do you know? Well, one of the things she did more concretely than participate in these protests was um, some of her poems were published in a Sami's Dot literary journal called Watch Chessy. And. Okay in 76 so that seems to be probably like the connection and so she's then arrested and sent into like sent into exile so you know isolated away from Leningrad for f- five or she's sentenced to five like, years to the east or yeah it's uh, I'm not sure where she went but yeah so, like s- there's a difference between being sent to exile and being sent to a camp where you like mm-hmm. work she's sentenced to five years in exile for this for her anti-Soviet activities, she ends up escaping and then in 77 I believe she, she, she like escapes back to Leningrad to be present in court at another person's for another person's case and ends up getting because of that um, rearrested and sentenced to two years in a prison camp. so that's where it's like work time. <laughs> so two years so until '79. And this is an important moment because before that in 75, One of the, um, sort of, like, person who's pointed to as, like, one of the founding people of the dissident feminist movement um, in Leningrad is Tatiana Mamanova, and she ends up being one of the editors of this almanac that is, like, pointed to, like, the publication of this almanac called Women in Russia is pointed to as, like, the beginning of the women's movement at this time, this, like. Okay, and that's in seventy nine. So, but in seventy five, this Tatiana person had already come to Wazninska and been like, in seventy five, she'd been like, I want to make this kind of journal that is particularly focused on women's issues, and for lack of a better term, and Vosnasinska um, turned her down then because she was like, at that time, I didn't see the necessity of separating uh, the w- Feminine or like women's opposition from the general movement Mm -hmm. Okay, and then she said like after I went through all of that the shit I went through in the camps and in prison that's when I realized that like there's a particular situation that women are in in our country and it needs a particular conversation so 79 um, she's released from the camps and Tatiana proposes this idea again and she they end up doing it so they participate in the publication of what's like called the first soviet feminist almanac do you know what an almanac is Uh, uh, i guess i don't a calendar
1: (laughs) no i thought it was i picture it more as like a glossary or something but it might just be like a general term for a like a journal that's published
0: by monthly or i don't know it's almost like <laughs> you probably we sound real ignorant right now yeah, but i looked it up and i was like this is not what i knew <laughs>
1: what is it then
0: okay no it's like yeah you're right like a handbook but it says typically okay. published yeah. annually annually sorry containing okay. information of general interest or on a okay whatever uh, or about women um now i know what an almanac is excellent and I don't know if they were using it the right way and they wanted to publish it once a year or if they were gonna do it more often. Not sure. But they published the first one. Oh <laughs> wait, they only published one. <laughs> so oh. doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> <and> they <laughs> published the first one. It's called Women in Russia again. And this like kind of starts, as I said, the uh, sort of marks marks the like fish more official start of like a particular Women's movement and what it consists of is short stories, poems, like various texts, as you might imagine, that talk about the various issues around like being a woman in the Soviet Union. So that's from like tradition, mostly sort of traditional things like raising kids, like abortions, being a single parent, um, the status of women in prison, homelessness among women unequal participation of so with raising kids like particularly focusing on gender unequal participation of father and mother in raising children Mm -hmm. and you know rape what's the word sexual assault assault thank you so all domestic violence domestic violence so that was it so the the editors so for some reason yulia is not one of the main editors she participates in this but she's not one of the main editors the editors get like you know start getting harassed and various, like, threats and stuff from the KGB to stop doing this because because the issues that they're bringing up are basically contradictory to, like, the official conception of, of the Soviet Union as being a, a progressive society. Mm-hmm. And um, it, so it doesn't get published again, but then this journal, this other journal they create called Maria, takes its place, like, pretty quickly and similarly covers, like, traditionally female-oriented topics, again, like children, maternity, abortion, et cetera. And the Maria publication also has, like, a club of the same name that sort of is introduced in the first edition of the magazine, and it, it, the first sort of, like, statement it makes is being against the war in Afghanistan. Oh, interesting, okay. Yeah, and it's, like, um, publishes a call to all mothers to prevent their sons from going to fight in that war. So that's okay. the kind of positioning. Um, and that got a lot of backlash also. this is from Yulia's perspective in an essay she wrote in the early 80s, there was a mixed reaction from dissidents, so there was like there was some sympathy, but there was also kind of like a, a mocking or sort of like angry reaction to like them separating themselves out. But according to Yulia, the first editions of Maria, the journal was were much more successful in the West. and some of them got I guess some of them got translated and what ends up happening like because of the almanac and then the, and then maria is that the members the editors and other members of this of the publication of that movement end up being punished for that in various ways so that comes that that comes in the form of like some of them lose their jobs some of them uh probably this is like more on the KGB side are are threatened they're threatened with losing their kids so they like in either ways. can you know like continue to be there or a lot of them end up leaving themselves rather than being like forcibly exiled out of the country some i think i think the three main editors are like actually asked to leave more formally exiled basically it just like quickly breaks down this is all in the course of like a year because in 1980 Yulia emigrates with her two sons i don't know i don't like there's no information or i couldn't find information about um her like family life really but apparently she had two sons and she leaves in 1980 so that's like only a year from the first publication so yeah um seems like a pretty quick falling apart or backlash the other really important thing about all of this is that there's this christian aspect to this whole movement so she's not the only christian person in the maria club and it ends up being like i mean orthodox when i say that so she's not the only the only one and the Maria Club I guess at some point sort of takes on a kind of like Christian values or something. So
1: was, was that just like a response,
0: like part
1: of the anti Soviet thing? Like what is that?
0: I don't know. I mean I so this is what I was thinking about when you asked, like, was this legit? It's like, yeah, it yeah, it was, but this is the kind of thing that I mean, like, these women, um, had their particular type of feminism but this is like the type of thing that it's sort of you have to be careful when you look at it at like from the point of view of western feminism or from from western feminism in the late 70s for example i think yeah i think it has a lot to do with a kind of anti-soviet and possibly like like a more traditional feminism i don't know what to call it i don't know enough about feminism to be able to characterize it but like (sighs) You know, like family values, for something like that. Like, I it doesn't seem like they are the type of feminists at all who are like in the you know early Soviet years, who wouldn't even consider themselves feminists. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. But w- so wait, these like, what are some tenets of the sorts of things that, like, are they are they predominantly concerned with like reeducating the public on how like Soviet women? actually live or are they concerned with like um kind of mitigating the bad effects of gender inequality like in the home
0: um I think more the first I don't know if those things have to be separate though because like I feel like they're what she talks about a lot and what she talks about in the introduction to the um to Cameron is exposing like the experience and the experience of being like let's say like a mom or something like in a regular, you know, I don't know, like communal apartment situation or in an everyday life situation how the particular hardships are are like more or there are particular hardships that women face in like that moment of soviet history that men don't or something like that. So that is I think a lot of it is around the family and like raising kids doesn't necessarily okay have to only be that but that's like the examples some of the examples she gives
1: and is it like is the rhetoric about liberating women or it's about like men taking on more responsibility for domestic duties
0: i mean i don't know i didn't like read their like if they even have like a manifesto or something but i feel like it's more about like making more explicit conversations so when she goes to germany so she leaves and she goes to Germany, um, in the in the in nineteen eighty. And it's like there she ends up, as like I said before, confronting this sort of stereotype about Soviet women being like so liberated and everything and how like people women in the West are like, We wanna be like Soviet women. And she's like, No. <laughs> no, you don't I mean, we're were women
1: in I guess, yeah, there were like some
0: were women ever like we wanna be like Soviet women. This is what she was she was saying, like they were like she was saying like some British women working somewhere in like a hospital or something use that as like a slogan in a, during a strike. I mean, I don't know. I mean, w- who was um maybe this is more european than r- american. Maybe. I mean, there's that whole like Audrey Lord goes
1: to the Soviet Union thing. Mhm. But I don't remember what she said about it.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was good though. I'm I'm pretty sure. I don't remember either, but that's a good question. But okay, like Taking her word for it, basically that this is mm-hmm. what Western women were telling her in Europe, she was she responded to them by being like no no no, and they were like what's the problem? And then like one anecdote she tells is about she lived in a room in a communal apartment and woke up and like the bathroom was occupied or didn't work or something and ended up like peeing in those little pee pots like when I boil water, <laughs> so you boil oh yeah those little pee pots that are for kids. So there's like there's like particular soviet metal pot thing that um you know it's like a bedpan so at night you don't have to go to the bathroom you pee in it yeah and she ended up peeing like in like her son knew or saw her knew it was happening or something and it was this like whole shameful thing for her and she sort of like told that story as like this moment where she realized like this is really fucked or something or like as a moment to illustrate how fucked that situation was and then her son like like, was embarrassed or, like, made, was, like, upset that she peed in that, in, like, the thing he pees in, or I don't know, that part was weird to me, it's like, she had to pee, who cares, she told that to, like, like, a meeting of women in Germany or something, and they were like, oh, like, okay, now we get it, <laughs> Um, according to her, but, and probably a lot of it is exposing the kind of, like, intense double standard of, you know, post-war Women in the Soviet Union of being like both a worker and a mother and all of that stuff that we've and you know being the homemaker, um, the double standard that exists everywhere also exists in the Soviet Union inside of a, like a weird ideological way that doesn't really nobody ever explains well I feel like or nobody explained in like the official rhetoric. So probably like talking about that kind of thing is also just like in itself a feminist move but actually about the word feminist real quick the only person who considered themselves a feminist in that group that like whatever year or so that they were together was the first Tatiana that I mentioned who originally like invited her to publish the almanac so the movement now is referred to as like the Leningrad dissident feminist movement or whatever but I think that they were wary of using that or people were wary of using that word to like about themselves and then once a lot of them emigrated because of like various pressures or actually being forced to emigrate whatever there was more obviously more interaction with feminist groups and stuff in europe but there was a lot of sort of tension around the christianity aspect for some of them because like they so busan tried to or did continue to publish maria in germany i think for a little bit there was sort of like what seems like a pretty obvious conflict with western feminists which is this like christian values aspect so she's like referred to in in the information i could find about her as like a a poet and a writer with like on christian topics or like with a christian like bent or something you know Mm -hmm. and the one literary award she has is from like the, the orthodox literary society or something so there you go and also fun fact Somehow in 1980, so right around this time, there was a, a TV show came out about her called in, in the States called Julia's Diary, and I couldn't find oh. it, oh. but I didn't look that hard, so dig away. So, okay, so from 1980, uh, Julia is mostly in Germany, in various places. She ends up living, for three years, she lives in a convent in uh, France, and then moves back to Berlin until her death in 2015. So during that time abroad in the 80s, she writes the woman's decameron. Decameron.
1: (laughs) Okay, so what
0: is the decameron? Decameron. Okay, so do you want to know what the original thing is? Yeah. Okay. More so. Um, The original decameron is from the 14th century. And it's, yeah, it's by an Italian author. Let me pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> Hold on. It's Giovanni. Egg, yes, uh, it is my people. Uh, Giovanni Bacciaccio. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, isn't it ch when there's two Cs or is the other around? We never figured God it out. Damn I, don't it. Think it's, I don't think it's deterministic like that. I don't think it's boccaccio. So, it must be bacciaccio. so who was born in 1313 which is so cool so isn't that cool (laughs) yeah so um yeah so Bacaccio wrote this collection of novellas basically and it's structured as like a hundred different tales that a group of kids who have just like escaped outside they're outside of florence they've escaped the the plague the black death is doing its thing in florence and they escape the city and tell each other stories while they're quarantined for 10 days outside the city Mm. they quarantine themselves but because they're smart but yeah so they to pass the time they spend the 10 days telling each telling stories there's like i guess there's Oh, no, there's not ten of them in this case. In in any case, don't worry about the math. Um, so there <laughs> ends up being a hundred stories, okay? Okay. And uh, the word decameron, if we're pronouncing it right, is from the Greek words deka, ten, and hemera, hemera, which is story, day. Oh. <laughs> so it's ten day. So Pachachio's decameron <laughs> is... Um, <laughs> Is this yeah this no this collection of stories about these ten okay. days? All right, that's the now uh, the ladies' <laughs> version for the ladies. Yes.
1: Sucks that it took so long for us to get our own decameron.
0: Yeah, for the ladies, like a thousand years later, we have the ladies' decameron, <laughs> which is literally <laughs> what it's called, женский, and similarly structured. So it is. About 10 pregnant women in a maternity ward in the 80s in the Soviet Union. I can't remember if they're in Leningrad or where they are, but in any case, um, they are quarantined quarantined there for 10 days because, like, I don't know, some sickness breaks out. They – or actually, they just gave birth.
1: Yeah, I think they just gave birth. birth. I don't know why they have to be there for so long, but they
0: do. Well, they're quarantined. So they have to be there for 10 days, and they're just sitting around – 10 ladies for 10 days and you guessed it one of them is reading the decameron actually mm-hmm. and yeah. she suggests okay <laughs> I like how l- she's like she's like we've all read this right and everybody's like
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> oh okay <laughs> well in the russian version it said like 50 percent of them were like it said like some yeah, said so no and
0: some said yes or something like that really riveting writing um so one kidding. of the yeah, l- ten ladies. It's because the premise is like act actually kind of good.
1: Like it could potentially be good.
0: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's not a dumb idea.
0: Mm, <laughs> At like, least I mean, Bochacho already had the idea and it wasn't bad. Apparently, I haven't read it. So one of the ladies is like, "Let's do, let's do it to we have ten days of quarantine. Let, quarantine. Let's uh, take turns telling stories. Let's pick a theme each day, and we each tell a story." On that theme, and you guessed it, it's Ladies Night. What's the first theme? Like
1: first love. First love.
0: Yeah. First loves. I don't remember what are the other ones like. Then it's like disappointment or like. Well, the the
1: I'm gonna read a story from one of the days. Okay. This is from the third day, in which are recounted stories about sex in farcical situations. Okay. Okay. Story number one by Larissa, doctor of biology, who, like last time, got off lightly with an anecdote, which seemed to have become a rule with her. I'll tell you an anecdote from the war years. I may well have heard it as a child, but of course I understood it only much later. In one detachment of partisans, the stores had run out. So one guy offered to go off to his own village and get some food from his wife. It was winter. He got onto his skis and set off. Next day, he returned with a sack. He sat down by the fire and took out a chunk of lard. Well, lads, I came up to my hut in the nighttime and I knocked on the window. The wife came out onto the porch. Whoever guesses the first thing I did gets a bit of lard. The partisans started guessing. Hugged and kissed her? No. Asked how the children were? No. Asked for something to eat? No. Then one man said, you fucked her right there on the porch. Right, you got it. Have a piece of lard. And whoever guesses what I did next gets a couple of pickles. They began guessing what he did next. Now you asked about the children? No. Went into the house? No. Looked about to see if there was any danger? No. Once again, the same man's deep voice came. You fucked her again. Right. Take your two pickles, and whoever guesses what I did gets a bottle of moonshine. All the partisans shouted in chorus, "'Fucked her again.' Wrong. I took off my skis." It was now Zina, the tramp's turn, but she was laughing so much over the anecdote that she asked instead to go last. Natasha volunteered to go next because her story fitted in with the anecdote. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's also weird, like, that, that's like a, a published translation, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's not like i mean it's not like just like <laughs> some random ass pdf you found somewhere it's like from I the know. library the library yeah. no less like they like they paid
1: money to have this bound in a hard cover
0: yeah but like the and the idea is it's like these 10 women it's like they're all you know they're all there together in the maternity ward but they're all from different backgrounds like i like how it's translated yeah whatever the tramp lady um yeah there's like a, the wife of a dissident oh yeah that too yeah. um uh, there's a secretary there's like some woman who works in a shipyard hardcore worker mm-hmm. um an airflot attendant oh, yeah. slash <laughs> escort for the kgb uh homeless like officially homeless woman i don't know like what her living they they sort of like use that that soviet language yeah. of like civilian without a home right right like, like some kind of formal way of saying it. it's sort of unclear where she actually lives who served time also in the camps party like a really like happy-go-lucky party worker girl who like was you know uh, a good little citizen as a kid also and then like became a good party worker and she's whatever you call that very politically charged so they're all different see <laughs> And, and yeah, the narrator does this like kind of cheesy thing where like she introduces them each time, or he, and <laughs> where they are introduced and then they tell their story. And it's like, I noticed that the, I don't know if this comes through in the English, but in the Russian version, the, uh, a couple of them have kind of a particular way of speaking, like particularly the tramp lady. She speaks in like a kind of, it's slangy okay and like kind of difficult to read for me because "Ah, i only speak proper russian (laughs) did that come through
1: did you get to her i did get to her but i only read the one story about how like the first time she had sex she was raped
0: and it didn't really come through i don't remember
1: i yeah i wasn't really engaged as i should have been
0: well, one of the things that I've definitely read at least one person criticized uh, this text for, and I will also join them, is that the voices are, like, pretty fucking flat. They're just, like, pretty much all the same. <laughs> um, you know, like, the characters are. I mean, I mean, did you, do you agree with that from what you read?
1: Yeah, no, no, no. The characters are flat. The, the dialogue is, like, embarrassing because it's bad.
0: Well, there's very little dialogue, but basically, what happens is like they tell a story, and then there's this like very tell versus showing kind of writing after the after the story, where the where the narrator's like and like has a little weird response amongst the women, like how they responded, and it's like really forced, and that's where the dialogue takes place, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I just meant generally the writing is like uh, like when I was reading it. I was
0: bored by it which
1: I feel like I haven't had that experience in a while because I just don't read poorly written things you know it, in that way.
0: Yeah it's, confu- it's confusing like why it's so bad. Um. <laughs> I mean it like reads
1: it's like the similar writing quality of like something like you, you know those books like Janet Ivanovich where like the author just pumped out like 20 books in a series and it's Like, the writing's just really bad, but people like the story because there's, like, sex in it and stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... So that's actually what I wanted to point out. I I don't know who you're talking about. I haven't read that person, but I know what you mean, and I feel like... It's not... You don't need to. Okay. And I feel like the point of this, one way to describe it, is that the text is... It only matters like what the content of their stories are, which is like really stupid, obviously. But um, but the content isn't even like
1: the content is so like on the nose and forced anyway. You know, it's like, oh, this is the tramp and this is her experience of first love.
0: The content is on. the Yeah, exactly. That's true. But the content is especially on the nose because of the way it's written like you can't separate those two things that's what i'm saying it's like artificial to separate them but like if we are separating them like wasna idea was to um her explicit idea was to show like you know little images and anecdotes and like stories from everyday life of from the everyday life of like a variety of women in right, which the which it 80s. was why i'm saying like in theory that that could be like a really nice thing to read
1: but she's just not a good writer yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. Definitely. Wait.
1: So did you
0: explain the whole like uh, where it was first published situation? No. OK, I'll do that now because that actually ties in. Um. You might be like, OK, it's just awkwardly translated or something. Allow me to dispel that myth <laughs> <laughs> real quick. So according to to Yulia, the author, I'm saying according to her because it's actually like a little bit confusing the first public where the first publication was. But she says it was first published in in German. By Reutmann Verlag, this publishing house that I don't think exists anymore. I think it was very small, and it was uh, created by this person, Lev Reutmann, who also worked at Radio Free, and Julia worked there, so they must have met there. Mm. I'm imagining. Um, and you know, he like starts publishing house, but it seems like it was, yeah, very small. And then so it's published in German, and then um, she says it was translated into like 15 different languages pretty soon after but not that's in t- so weird. <sighs> I know. But not into Russian. So she didn't like she specifically said like I didn't write the book for the Russian reader, for the Soviet reader at the time because basically because like I was trying to explain the situation of Soviet women to non-Soviet people and like Soviet women already know about that all so they don't need to read it themselves. Which is like a very questionable position, but that's the position she took. What I was reading was her introduction to the Russian edition published in 2013. And she says 27 years ago. So 86, 87 at first comes out. So, like, she ends up publishing um, the first Russian version for Russians in 2013. Okay. And, but before that, this is the confusing part, um, Wikipedia cites, like, the, cites, says the first publication was in 87, in Tel Aviv, and I, okay. what I gathered from her is that this is, uh, she said, like, well it was published in Russian, but for for a Russian language publisher in Israel, um, and it seems like, and that was like the only official Russian version for a while. So it, basically, I, I I guess the idea is that like it was like there was a Russian Israeli one, and then in two thousand thirteen, there's like a Russian Russian one, whatever. <sighs> Because uh, you got to have one for the Russian Jews and one for everybody else. I don't know. Just because, like, publishing... Because they're thinking of, like, physical books rather than Internet. So that does make sense. But it was just confusing because, like, Wikipedia only cites a Tel Aviv version. So I was like, I... like they, they don't even cite the German version. Mm. Um, when does it say yours was... Does it say when yours was translated? It was translated by W.B. Linton.
1: Copyright 1985 by Yulia... Translation copyright, copyright 1986, so pretty much right away.
0: Yeah, so it seems like um, it was translated quickly, and I don't know. Did you did you happen to see, like, responses to it or something at the time? Did you look for, for any of that? I, I, like, saw that there were ones, but I did not read them. Okay. But, yeah, I guess, I mean, if it really was translated into 15 languages, or even the fact that it was translated right away at all is, like, a, a sign that it did get attention yeah um, at that time. And I mean, yeah, it's like the very end of the Soviet Union. I guess that was just like a, a hot topic. So people didn't care that it was badly written. Um, and then, yeah. And like, basically did the translator think it was badly written? I mean, well, I don't know. Well, that's the thing. It's like so then what she I don't know if she like rewrote it in Russian or how or If she translated herself. I'm not sure about that. Couldn't get an answer to that question, but the Russian version, just to clarify, is just as awkward and like unnatural. <laughs> yeah. So it's really not like the translator's fault. Linton, don't blame yeah. him. Um or her, or her. Oh wait, was it like initials? W B. It's probably did W E B W B C. What does that sound like? W B. I don't know. The boy. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, W E B Z. What's the N B R? W B Z. Chicago. W B E Z. Yeah. Oh, that sounds hard to say. Yeah. W B E Z. Yeah. It's like it's just I don't. It it really is unfortunate because it's like the language is just not conversational, like not natural. So it just makes like everything very. <coughs> like how can you like actually relate to the characters if they talk like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's almost written in the style of like a fable or something where the point is like really front and center, and then everything yeah. else is just yeah. there to support
0: And we're they're like, that point. why don't you tell a story, dear? Yeah, and then she's like, and then she told. Actually, that's <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> observation, and like actually, kind of maybe if you look at it that way, that could. Be, be construed like as a she compliment. did that
1: intentionally
0: if yeah if she sort of intentionally used the sort of like fairy tale structure i mean it definitely because it's based on the um decameron structure it's going to have a kind of like tales, like tell you a yarn and i mean it's it's also obvious that like e- each of the characters is sort of like a stereotype of themselves and yeah That seems like that was kind of on purpose because she's like, let me make a diverse group. But then the way she writes about everything in the intro does not give me a sense that she's, like, aware of these things or, like... No. Well, um, and
1: she's, like... She's really explaining, too. Like, you could write this in a style where you don't, like, explain everybody's background and be, like, one of each. You could just, like, let the stories... Explicate
0: Right, the narrator's role. And, And in the introduction, she's very, like... Like, it was extremely popular. It just really went crazy. Everyone loved it. (sighs) And, like, it just doesn't have any awareness, kind of, of, like, what it actually... Or she doesn't... And she certainly doesn't talk about, like, talk about it stylistically or as, like, a piece of literature. But um, it's funny, too, because, like, she talks about how when she first moved to Germany... Yeah, she was basically, she was in, she says she was inspired to write this book, she was inspired by Solzhenitsyn, of all people, and, yeah, and apparently, like, corresponded with him in 1980, or started corresponding with him in 1980, after they had published, that was after they published Maria in Germany, Um, and was like, I guess, yeah, in correspondence with him about her trials and tribulations, and... And I don't know. It's just like, and he responded and like sympathized and sympathized with her Christian values and shit. And like, was like, this is so important and so different from like the superficial Western feminism and stuff like that. Um, and God basically Solzhenitsyn. Is on your side. It's just like the fact that of all people, Solzhenitsyn was the one who like inspired her and then was like her little correspondent. I was just like, all right, well, that's just the nail in the coffin for me because like, I don't know. He's easy to kind of hate on. But we can do that another time.
1: Okay, that's the episode. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Telegram at She's in Russia. Subscribe to our monthly image based newsletter at She's in uh, Shop russian clothes at fortishka uh no that's not right depopcom slash fortishka um i'll put the link in the episode description and give us money on patreon on a monthly basis and you might get some socks or stickers patreon.com slash shoes in russia and we'll see you next week